Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast. We are getting closer to the start of the 2022 East Carolina football season. Man, we're just a few weeks away, 23 days away as we sit here recording this podcast on Thursday, August 11th. It's been a while since I've been back, still in the middle of moving. We're actually moving houses uh, into our new house this weekend. We've been covering preseason camp, though, on a daily basis. But I wanted to get a fresh edition of the podcast. and. Excited to welcome in a guy who is very well respected on the Hoisted Colors message board. Uh, one of our favorite X's and O's guys on Hoisted Colors. He is Nova Pirates. He's going to help us in today's offensive preview for the 2022 ECU football season. Uh, Nova, we're going to start with our port of call segment. We'll get into introducing you here in a minute. But first off, man, welcome uh, into the podcast and uh, glad to have you on. Thanks for having me, Stephen. I really appreciate it. And I, I, I love these segments. And I, I think it's just part of the, the great work that you do. So I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate that, man. You've been a longtime member, a loyal member. And I know a lot of people on Hoisted Colors really appreciate your insight and, and wanted to introduce you in, in audio form. And, and for those unfamiliar, we've been doing this port of call segment where we have some of our favorite posters on we'll ask you kind of a series of questions, how you got the hoist colors, what your username means, all that sort of stuff. So we'll start first Nova pirates. Uh, you know, what is your, your real name? And again, we, we leave it up to the the posters. Do you want to divulge everything or can you just want to keep it to a nickname or a first name? So, uh, that way we can at least refer to you as something throughout the podcast. Sure. Uh, sure. That's great. Uh, my name is Sean and, um, I got the name Nova Pirate just because I live in the, the Northern Virginia, D.C. area. It's as uncomplicated as that. I wish it was more creative, but it's not. Sometimes simple is, uh, is the best way to go. And we can get more into this later, but you do have a football background. I guess what can you share about kind of your knowledge of the game and, and you know, what kind of leads you to having some expertise on the topic? Yeah, so I like so many people, I, I grew up playing the game and – in high school, and then um, really when I started teaching at a at a small school in the D.C. area, there was a need for 
for coaches. And I was sort of drafted in to help at really all levels of the, of the football program. And um, I had a, a mentor who literally sat me down for, for months and after school, he would uh, get on the chalkboard and literally just go over X's and O's. And it was like a, it was like a class and um, like a master class in, in strategy. And, um, and, and from there, I um, started doing some uh, coaching and in, in addition to that, uh, teaching. So um, I very much consider myself uh, a student of the game. Also, I, I, I love the analytical part of the game and I love the the psychology and the sociology and the chessboard piece of this. Uh, I'm a big believer that uh, coaching, particularly in football, has the greatest impact both on the players, but also the ability of a team to win. Um, I think football continues to be the ultimate team sport. And having a good football coach, to me, still, I don't care what level you are, uh, middle school, high school, college, or the pros, a good coach makes all the difference in the world uh, in, in football, and I think more so than in any other sport. So I really appreciate those who have made a career out of this. Do you remember how you found Hoist the Colors originally or how you came across it? You know, Stephen, I don't remember. I think I was probably like everybody else, just Googling East Carolina. It's probably after a frustrating game or something. And then I, then I came across the, the website and I don't, I don't know how long it's been, but I was really impressed with the, I mean, I didn't know that you had put it together and I was really impressed with whoever put it together. And it was kind of in the early days, I think of uh, some of the message boards becoming a little more sophisticated and uh, I like the format and I like the posters and, um, and then I just think the content and the work that you've done has just uh, really been incredible. It's been great to sort of see you progress in this as well. Uh, and it's, um, it's, it's very therapeutic for me to, to be honest, and probably for a lot of the people who go uh, and post. So, um, but I don't remember the exact moment. I'm just, I'm just glad that I found it. Yeah, we, we've shared plenty of uh, long private messages uh, on our on our instant messaging system and then text message during and after games. Uh, so I always appreciate your insight and, you know, I always lean on you and, and other guys that know the game a lot better than myself for some insight, too. Uh, do you have any other favorite posters? I know a lot of people have said that they enjoy your work. Do you have any favorite posters you enjoy reading? Uh, thank you. I mean, I, I'm a fan of uh, lots of the same ones that everyone else is. I, I love the work that, that Tick has done and Pirate Backer and, and uh, the coaches that coach. And uh, I love Blue Water Pirate sort of updates on, uh, on what's going on uh, with the stadium. And, um, and I, the, I, I love just sort of seeing the banter. And, um, but I, I think probably those are some posters. And, um, but really just sort of enjoy the site as, as a whole. Conversely, do you do you have any least favorite posters? Or are you gonna uh, shy away from calling anybody out? Uh, no, I'm not gonna say anything. <laughs> I'm not gonna say anything. I mean, look, everybody has their moments of regret, right? And so, uh, how about this? Some posters have more moments of regrets than others. Um, yeah. But I'm not gonna call anybody out. I can think of a few, but I uh, <laughs> I've probably called them out on a past podcast. Um, favorite ECU sports topic to discuss? I mean, this is, I, I feel like it's obviously football, kind of the, the X's and O's, but do you, 
Uh, obviously, how much do you enjoy that? Do you dabble with any of the other sports coverage we do? Um, you know, I football, obviously, and I, I've been kind of a bandwagon baseball guy, to be honest. I, I played a little bit as a kid, but it's been um, the work that the uh, Coach Godwin does and the reporting that, that you do really has hooked me into to college baseball and to EC baseball in a way that I didn't think I would be hooked. So I've really enjoyed that. And um, I'm waiting for ECU basketball to turn around. Um, but uh, I, I'm kind of a strange bird in that I actually transferred to East Carolina from UNC Chapel Hill. Uh, I didn't like Chapel Hill. Um, and when I transferred to East Carolina, I, ha I had friends of mine that were at ECU and loved it. And and to be honest, one of the first things I fell in love with was the football team. Um, I, I transferred in the early 90s and um, remember uh, some of those early 90, 91, the early 90, 91 season. And um, so that really helped solidify my love for, for East Carolina, the, the football, the football team. So definitely football, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, my, my next topic was going to be how did you become an ECU fan? But I think we kind of just figured that out. Did you have like any awareness of what East Carolina football meant to the region upon transferring to school, or was it pretty much you figured that out after you came in? So I knew some of my best friends had, had uh, initially started out at ECU, and um, I'm, I'm sort of a transplant, uh, although I, I pretty much grew up in eastern North Carolina. My, my father, grandfather, great-great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather all grew up in, the, in, in Washington, D.C., and my father was in the newspaper business and one of his first uh, sort of real management jobs was uh, was in Eastern North Carolina. So um, I knew of, of ECU and I knew what I really liked about ECU was I, I really had a sense uh, when I was in high school that the football team was more than just a football team for, for ECU. And, and I loved the mission for ECU. I, I love that it was really dedicated, I think, to, to Eastern North Carolina and the and getting uh, families and kids out of poverty. And I, so I, it was really mission driven. And I, and I knew that. Um, and so when I transferred, I, I already had a sense of what I was getting into. And it felt, um, it felt very comfortable to me. And but I, I, I think I already had a sense of how important the football team was, but didn't really understand it till I got there. Do you have a favorite ECU athlete of all time uh, all in the football program? That's a great question. That's such a great question. I'm, you know, this might be um, a bandwagon one, but I think it's got to be Dwayne Harris for me. I, I think there is just something about his spirit and his um, never say die attitude that um, I really, really appreciated and still think that he, in my mind, is, is, is sort of a, a poster child for ECU football. Uh, Jeff Blake, I mean, how, how can you not sort of remember Jeff Blake and what he did against Pittsburgh and, uh, and North Carolina State? So I would say Harris, Blake, um, gosh, there are so many, and um, Gerard, uh, all the biggies, but I would say Harris and then probably Blake. It seems like I feel like just having this conversation with, with our members and talk with DC fans in general that Dwayne Harris is kind of the number one favorite. And I think a lot of that does have to do with what you mentioned. Like he kind of embodied everything about being a pirate in one single player. You know, he was tough as nails, did a little bit of everything, 
you know, kind of proved some people wrong that doubted him, um, you know, and had a heck of an NFL career just based off all those traits. So, yeah, 17, man, he was a, he was a special player yeah. for sure. And there's a lot of good ones uh, to choose from. Well, we're visiting with Sean. He is Nova Pirate. And on the other side, we are going to dive into our 2022 offensive preview. And we're going to go position by position and give some expectations as we head into the fourth year of the Mike Houston era. And we're doing our offensive preview today. So stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Hoisty Colors podcast. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, welcome back into the Hoist of Colors podcast. We have Nova Pirate as our guest for today's offensive preview for the 2022 ECU football season. And uh, we were texting earlier, Sean, and, you know, kind of figuring out if we wanted to talk offense or defense, and we decided on offense. I don't think there's any shortage of topics to discuss with this unit. Um, We'll first start with kind of a, a broad question. This is year four of Mike Houston, all four years or going into year four, it'll be the same offensive coordinator, Donnie Kirkpatrick. I feel like there's been times where this offense has looked really, really good. I just think it's kind of the inconsistency we've seen over the last few years that has maybe, I don't know, driven some people crazy. Um, it's always easy to blame the quarterback and the offensive coordinator. Just from your vantage point, how would you kind of diagnose this offense three years in and going into year four? Yeah, that's such a great question, Stephen. It's sort of which comes first, the chicken or, or the egg here. I I think it's a combination of things. Uh, I, what has not happened on a on a Coach Houston team yet is for all the pieces to be put together on a on a consistent basis. We've seen flashes of brilliance from QB one. We've seen some pretty good play calling from our offensive coordinator, and we've seen some moments of of, of courage and um, uh, fortitude from the head coach who's sort of gone for uh, uh, who's taken some chances. I don't think we've seen that across the board consistently every game. And and so I, what I'm looking for this year is for the pieces to be put together and. More than anything, I think on any team, the, the difference between a championship team or a team that stays six and six or seven and six is the ability of a head coach to instill in his players um, the ability to win on a consistent basis. And I wish there was a formula that I could point to that. Uh, where Coach Houston can sort of, you know, put a, a potion together and say, drink this. But I do believe that starts with the head coach. And 
There has to be this step from where they've been in the last four or five years with Coach Houston, really the last six or seven years, the last decade. And there has to be that, that, that step that's really hard to name where Coach Houston really becomes um, aggressive. I, I think Coach Houston's got to get more aggressive, to be honest, than what he has been in the past. I think the play calling has to be smarter. I think the play calling has to put people in space in a, in a better way than we've had in the past. And I think QB1 has to be consistent um, every game that QB1's got to get out of his head and, um, and really sort of just go with the flow. So what I'm looking for is that next step. And that's such a, that's such a psychological step, but it's just also a step that if you're going to have a championship team, uh, Coach Houston really has to instill in his players um, that it's, it's, it's time to win and it's time to be aggressive in that winning. And I think part of that becomes how do they go from, you know, last year I think they took a step forward and they handled kind of the mediocre to bottom defenses in the league or on their schedule, but they struggled still against the top tier defense as well. At some point, if you're going to become that championship caliber team, you got to find a way to sustain success against that top defense. And unfortunately for ECU, they have to open with NC State, and, and that's probably the best defense they'll face, if not the best, then definitely one of the best. Um, but let, let's let's go position by position because we could talk about this thing forever. So we'll start yeah. with the quarterbacks. Um, you mentioned Holton Aylers. Yeah. Obviously, this is his fourth year as a full-time starter. And I feel like, you know, some people have said he's – plateaued and I feel like maybe he has to an extent but there has been some slight increase in completion percentage and numbers over the past few years and I kind of wrote in my quarterback burning questions preview like how how high does Holt Naylor's ceiling go because I, I don't know I mean is has he is Holt Naylor's who he is at this point or does the fact that he finally ha- seems to have an offensive line around him tight ends running backs receivers are we going to see a more complete version of Holt Naylor's this season? I don't know if that's a question you can answer, but kind of what's your gut feeling there? Can he take another step? Yeah, that's the great question. I mean, that that is the the big question because in modern offenses, the quarterbacks is absolutely the most important person on the field. And I think Holton has always had the physical tools. Uh, he's always been a good athlete. Uh, he's always had the ability to put his shoulder down and, and, you know, run over people probably much to the coaches chagrin. I think where he has struggled is in the mental game. And I, and I don't mean that, that it's a question of how smart he is. What I mean is it's a question of how well he allows himself to let go of overthinking the game and to just play the game. And if you look at uh, someone like Peyton Manning uh, or his brother, the Manning brothers, what's great about them is they did not care if they had a spiral. They didn't care if the ball was pretty they just knew that when they threw the ball, they were looking for a space into which to throw that ball. And for them, they almost willed the ball into the hands of the receiver. I think what I've seen over the last four years with Holton is an overthinking. And it's almost like he is trying to create this perfect play 
uh, too often. And because he's trying to create this perfect play, I think he waits too long to get rid of the ball. And I think once what I've seen is once he starts getting into playing into his head and he doesn't play in his gut, he can go downhill really, really quickly. So, you know, that's the big question. You know, he has the physical tools. He doesn't have, I think, the, the, um, the, the greatest arm. It's an arm that's good enough to play and to win at the college level. But until, I tell you what I'm going to be looking for, Stephen, at the state game. I'm going to be looking through the second quarter. And by the second quarter, I want to know, is it will Holton be able to just throw the ball and get it to where it needs to be? Or is he going to wait, you know, and sort of let the play run in his brain and then let go of it? So he's got to play in his gut and he's got to play with flow. And that's the word that coaches often use is flow. And he's got to play with flow. If he gets bogged down in his uh, in his brain and his worrying about his progressions, we're not going to win the game. And he's not, he's not going to progress either. So to me, this has been a, this has been a, a, a mental block. Again, not an issue of intelligence, but an issue of the ability to sort of let go and play. I, I hope that makes sense. No, I think, I think it makes a lot of sense because just talking with the coach staff in the past, they've, I think they've kind of hinted at that without coming out and saying it. Like when Holden – when he just goes out there and he just plays, Mike Houston has kind of put it that way. And obviously, like, there's thinking involved, there's pre-snap reads, all that stuff. But it's like, kind of like you said, when he gets in that flow, it's just so much more smooth, and that's when kind of the offense clicks. And, and some of that, too, I think, goes to having an offensive line that he trusts, having players around him that he trusts. I'll, I'll You know, for an example, like you mentioned today, they were doing a, a two-point conversion kind of offense versus defense drill. And, you know, instead of forcing a play into the end zone, he just dumped it off to Keaton Mitchell. Keaton Mitchell made Gerard Stringer look silly, scores easily. I mean, sometimes it's that simple. Just dump the ball off to your best player instead of forcing one over the middle and double coverage. So um, let's talk about those running backs, Sean. I mean, these – I tell you what, <laughs> I was kind of worried about Keaton Mitchell having a sophomore slump, and even though this is technically his third year, coming off the big year, but, I mean, he has looked incredible at practice, and, and I just pray that he stays healthy. You have Rajay Harris. Uh, you've got two really good running backs, and, you know, we'll see what happens after those guys. But, you know, when you're a defensive coordinator now, you have to specifically game plan for Keaton, and you can't take Rajay lightly. So how much do you think that helps this offense? I think it helps it tremendously. Keaton has a gear that, most running backs don't have. And, and we, we haven't seen a running back like Keaton at ECU, I think, since Chris Johnson. His, his gear really, I think, I think his most impressive gear is when he gets past the offensive line. And when he hits that third or fourth gear, um, it's really, uh, it's, it's a work of art, I think, to watch him run. And when he, I mean, we saw that, uh, uh, that sort of wide uh, running back screen at the app game where, you know, I think there were highlights on ESPN for that, where we, when we were playing app and uh, Holton threw a really nice touch to him. And I 
I don't think I've seen a running back run that fast on TV ever. I mean, he hit a gear that any defensive coordinator is going to have to plan for. And so, but you're right. I mean, uh, his frame concerns me just in terms of the wear and tear, but he, he looks like a tough guy to me, a tough kid. Um, they, and, and as a defensive coordinator, you really, it's hard to scheme for that because that type of speed is sort of God given speed. And then when he needs a breather, you've got Harris who also has a really nice gear. And, and I think Harris's gear tends to be that second step and he hits that second step. And he, I think, uh, Rajay has great vision as well. I think both of these backs have great vision and, so it, it, it's kind of a one-two punch, and it's the best one-two combination we've had at ECU since I've been here. So that, you know, in, in defense, what the defense always wants to do is the defense always wants to make sure that they have the matchup, especially at this level, they have the matchup that they want. Um, but how can you really put a linebacker on as someone like Keaton. And if you're going to put a linebacker on him, then what is that going to give up in space to one of our really good tight ends? So we've got some really nice tools and it really begins with those running backs and the offensive line, but those backs are, those backs are really, really good. When you look at ECU was basically able to get through last year with just the two backs. I think Joseph McKay had like three carries, but it was in garbage time and it didn't really matter. I mean, you, I just don't see that being a viable possibility again. So you have to find a third back. And, you know, I, I haven't seen a few practices. I still don't know who it's going to be. You know, really the main candidates right now, like Pop McKay, Camaro Edmonds, and Marlon Gunn, the freshman out of New Orleans. Nemo Squire is also getting some reps. But, like, how important is finding that third back? Just because more than likely you're going to need him, need him at some point. I think that third back is everything for us because it's, it's clear to me that Houston is as old school as you're going to get. I mean, he's the guy who's going to listen to, you know, 80s music uh, and 20 years later and think that it's, you know, that it's too new. Uh, so he is he is not a, in a rush to change his strategy. And so um, Houston wants to eat up yards. He wants to grind it out and he wants his team to physically dominate the other and so two backs, we were really lucky last year. And in looking at those backs and looking at their tape, um, I've really been impressed uh, with the freshman gun. Um, I, I like the competition that he's played. Um, he has an excellent gear both before he hits the hole and after the hole. I think McKay has shown flashes of, of brilliance also, but you and I both know that there are um, – spring game warriors and then there are people who just never sort of make it into the game I and mean, mckay has all the physical tools the question is can he put it together and then i'm really curious about edmonds I've, I've looked at some of edmonds tape um he's i'm curious about what happened to him at chapel hill um you know usually when coaches are quick to dole out players um it, I, I just wonder what happened. Was it not a good fit? Uh, he has all the physical to, tools, though. So we're really lucky. Uh, and again, I don't remember being this deep with this type of talent. And I think between McKay and Edmonds and Gunn, I think any, any of those three could be, um, could be that third person. 
I think Squire, from looking at him, great back. He may need another year in the program, though. That, that's just from what I've seen on the tape. Shifting now to the tight ends, and we'll get to the receivers here in a minute. <laughs> we, we had talked about for so many years that, man, when is ECU going to have something at the tight end position? And lo and behold, Sean, we, we finally – have something to look forward to in a major way. I mean, I think Ryan Jones could potentially be an NFL guy one day, depending on how he develops this year. Shane Calhoun has been extremely steady. You have a couple blockers and Aaron Jarman, D'Angelo McKinney, they moved from D-line to tight end. So, again, this is another position group that you you have to like on paper, right? Uh, you do. And, and not only on paper, but I think they both have proven um, that they can play and they can play with some of the best talent that we've come across, especially uh, particularly in the AAC. Um, Shane's work over the uh, spring game was really, really good. And I one of the things that I was lamenting and sort of hoping or even praying is that we somehow work out a way to make those two real targets, because if you can open up the offense in a way that makes two, a, a tie, both tight ends a, a real sort of threat, then you have a real problem on the defensive side figuring out what do you cover both of those guys with? Do you put a safety on them? Do you put a linebacker? Do you put a strong safety? I mean, both of, the, both of those uh, players have great hands. They're really good route runners. And they'll punish you once they get the ball. So to me, the question is not, you know, can they play? I think they can play and play well. To me, the question is, are we going to create a scheme that really puts pressure on the defense? Because that's really what this is about. It's, it's about how do you put pressure on a defense and put your best players in space? And, and those are two Excellent, excellent players. And we haven't had that here, not the tight end level. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, especially when you look at Jones's athleticism and his ability to split out, split out in the slot. We've seen Calhoun split out in the slot this preseason. And let's talk about the, the receiver position now, Sean. I mean, this is a, a retooled receiver position. Tyler Sneed, the old reliable, is no longer there, which is a concern. But I think if you look at some of the talent this group has brought in, Jalen Johnson from Georgia, Isaiah Winstead from Toledo, C.J. Johnson we didn't know about, but it looks like he is now, he is now back. It looks like he will be a part of this team, and he is playing well this preseason. Uh, Jarrett Garner comes in from Duke as well. He's been out with an injury thus far in camp. We'll see if he can get back. Uh, but Josiah Hatfield returning, Taji Hudson, uh, Kerry King, we've heard good things about them in practice. And, you know, you kind of feel better about this position group than maybe we did you know, say two or three months ago. Uh, agree. And if you look at the production of Winstead at Toledo and some of the flashes of brilliance that uh, Garner had at Duke and, and some of Johnson's uh, practice tape at Georgia and some of the work that he did, these are three excellent portal acquisitions. And you really have to hand it to Coach Houston, who um, whose staff did their homework. Uh, these are three kids that have good frames. Uh, they have some height. And one of the things that we were talking about before we went on air was that these are kids that know how to make themselves big. And, you know, you can have a nice frame, you can have some nice size, but if you don't know how to use it, it doesn't really matter. But in looking at the tape of these guys and the production that they've had, 
these three really become viable weapons uh, very quickly. The question, though, becomes how quickly can they learn the offense and how quickly does Holton develop chemistry with them? That the chemistry piece with the receiver is something that's a that's a mystery to coaches and you know coaches will pretend that they know how it works but you know there's a huge trust factor between receivers and 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 a quarterback and you just I think my biggest worry on the team actually is this position group not from a talent standpoint but from a standpoint of how does all of this click together and if you know, given some of the struggles that Holton has had in terms of timing and in terms of waiting for receivers to get open, you know, with these guys, it looks like he doesn't need for them to wait to get open. I mean, he's got some viable targets. Um, But the big question is, are they going to be ready against a really good North Carolina State uh, State team and a really good North Carolina State defense? on day one. So that's the question. And if they struggle, if we struggle early, then then it's going to be easy for state to man up on these receivers. And what are they going to do? They're going to load the box and guess who they're going to come after? Mitchell, right? And Harris and Holton. So that's the wild card to me. The wild card is how quickly can these receivers acclimate uh, into threats? I've already said if I'm NC State, Taking away Keith Mitchell, I'm taking away Ryan Jones, and, and and I'm making these receivers prove they can beat me in that opener. Now, if you're ECU and Isaiah Winstead, CJ Johnson, you know whoever beats a couple guys one on one on that first or second series, then I think you're going to change the complexion of how they play defense. But that's if I'm NC State, I'm doing that, and I expect them to do that. Uh, agree, and and that's. You know, any coach is going to have to figure out, and that's what coaches do, right? They'll figure out, okay, where am I willing to take the risk? And where am I know that this gamble is a limited gamble? And it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out that the that the weak link right now, and, and weak is, I don't mean weak in a pejorative, I mean weak just in the sense of they don't have the, the practice yet. Um, and, you know, again, probably look for them to man up. Um, we've always struggled with man, Stephen. We've always struggled with man here. And, and that's part of the word right on our QB one is that he cannot handle man coverage. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's the wild card here. And you're exactly right. If, if these guys, if CJ, you know, really gets into his groove and, um, you know, these new guys, you know, make really good steps and, and run great routes, it's going to surprise state. Um, but if not, it could be a really long game, a hot game and long game. All right, let's shift now to perhaps the most important group. Uh, we talk about the quarterbacks, running backs, receivers, and tight ends, but I think we, we both know that it doesn't matter if you can't protect uh, or if you can't run block. And it's been a major issue for ECU football for the past several years. It's tough to recruit quality offensive linemen. It's tough to have depth. ECU's had injury issues in the past. This year, knock on wood, this looks like the, the deepest. Uh, I think they're arguably too deep at every position up front. They've hit the portal. They've developed guys. they got guys returning. And, and Sean, I, I'm almost scared to say it, but I think this offensive line might be pretty good. 
Yeah, no, I, um, last year when I saw them, uh, in the last year's spring game and before they had some of the injuries that they had with, uh, Bailey and, and others, I thought that they were going to be good. Um, this year based on, uh, the new guys, uh, Justin Reed, uh, the, the kid from West Virginia, I think Parker Moore, Parker Moore, is that who that is? Yeah. Yes. Um, and, um, I think that we've made some tremendous, uh, again, uh, acquisitions from the, the portal. And and because we're too deep, in these too deep, they all look like they can play the part, uh, including the the new kids that we that we've gotten. They're they're bulky. Our guards look like their guard, like the guards are supposed to look. Um, our uh, our tackles have arm length. Uh, they've got pretty good shuffle. They've got hip movement. To me, the biggest question, though, is the question that has really sort of held us back since Houston and Coach uh, Montgomery is the aggressiveness of this line. I think that we've had the will, we've had the desire, but when we've gone into the trenches, when we've really had to battle those, those big tackles that they're going against, We've been kind of outmanned, but I think this year, I really think this year is the year that we turn the tide. We've got some really big kids on that line and some strong kids and kids that know the system. They, the offensive line, I think, is the hardest to play in, in all of football except for the quarterback. There's so many combinations to remember, so many different blocking schemes, so many different um, sort of movements. And and so it takes a while to learn the system. And so we've had guys in the system. We've sort of raised them. So uh, fingers crossed, this could actually be a strength of the team, Stephen. I know it's crazy to say, but, I mean, you look at it in fourth year of the offense, fourth year with Donnie Kirkpatrick, fourth year with Steve Shankweiler. So you have continuity there. For the first time in that tenure, you have, the second, you have a, a second-time center in Avery Jones – you return a guard with experience in the shot. Strother, Bailey Malovic coming off an injury, but he has played a pretty significant amount. you got Noah Henderson, who's played a pretty significant amount. Isaiah Foote's really come a long way. He's been in the program. He's, he's getting some one reps. You know, this is his third year. He knows the offense. Then you add three guys with, with starting experience that we talked about in the transfer route. So I almost feel like they're eight or nine deep. You know, I haven't even mentioned Walt Stribling or Richard Pierce, two other guys who have been in the program. And, you know, for you, being a being a coach, do you, you know, how do you work it out to where you kind of, I don't know, find the best combination early in the season? I almost felt like you, you know, you can rep in practice, but it's almost a case where do you move some chess pieces around early in the season to kind of see how it all fits? Some of the, the, the best offensive line coach I ever worked with said that, um, he really could not judge a player until they played in the game that really up until that moment, it really was sort of gut and instinct and, and playing chess. And um, often it took that first game of seeing the players react in the midst of, uh, of the fire to determine who really could uh, hold their block and then shift through to where they needed to, which, you know, these, these guards have to shift through these tackles and they have to, you know, really squeeze out the linebackers. And um, so um, the good news is, is that with Struther and uh, Henderson and 
um, and with the, the returning guys, they were able to do that. So the returning guys were really good in the trenches. And so that's an easy pick. They're, they're going to, you know, we're going to have some starters. I think now the question becomes, at least in preseason, who knows the plays? That's a big one. Who can learn the playbook? Who's making the least amount of mistakes? And a lot of times, too, you're going on the eyeball test, right? What's happening in those trenches? Uh, are the guy, are the new guys that you brought in? It, it's hard to disrupt chemistry. And it's hard when you bring in new guys. You want to make sure that those new guys really are the best before you put them in because you've had guys here that have been grinding it out for a long time. So, um, but again, looking at the tape of these newcomers, looking at what we did last year, this is a strength for us. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but I think this is a strength for us. And, and it's about time. It's about time. Yeah. Coaches have put a lot of hard work in and let's just, let's hope the unit stays healthy because that's been the biggest issue in the past. And, and I just hope they, they, they all stay on the field to avoid the big injury. All right, Sean. And it start, oh, I'm just to say it, it, it does. It, 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 there's no question. I don't care what scheme you're playing it does start with the offensive line. It starts in the trenches. And, and if you don't have that right, you, you're in trouble. So we've, we've previewed East position. We've talked about the experience returning on the coaching staff. You know, they did add a new uh, outside receivers coach this year in Waquan Boyette from Duke, who I, I'm really high on, especially as a recruiter, and I think he's going to help that room. When you look at this offense as a whole, what, what's a fair expectation? I mean, and I know people are going to say, hey, let's avoid the slow start. You know, App State, they didn't play particularly well. The year before that, they didn't play too well against UCF. Those were tough openers. You have another tough opener. And I don't know if people should jump off the Green Street Bridge if they struggle versus NC State, which is, is arguably a top 10 defense nationally. But, you know, what is a fair expectations for this, for this offense heading into the season? That's a great question. So here's what I'm looking for. Here's what I think is fair. I think it's fair in the fourth year that when ECU lines up with State, I think it's fair that the offense looks crisp. I think it's fair that um, Holton knows where he's going with the ball. I think it's fair that all our offensive linemen get off their mark and really sort of drive into the defensive line. So in other words, um, it's if, if I see motion penalties, if I see us missing routine plays, if I see us uh, sort of slogging it out in that first sort of quarter. Well, second quarter, of course, it's not the end of the season, but I think it's a fair expectation given that this is, you know, four for everybody that, that these guys come out ready to play um, and really sort of challenge state. Now, look, it's going to be a tall order to beat the state team. It, it, it is. It, it's not impossible and, and people should not panic if we lose to North Carolina State. It, it's a legitimately good team. But I think that if Holton struggles, then it's here, here's what I'll say to that, Stephen. If Holton struggles at this first game, um, to me, that shouldn't happen in the fourth year for everyone. Um, so I'm looking for uh, everybody to sort of know what they're doing and to play this competitively. That's what I'm looking for. Right. And I think that's fair. I think it it should look, you know, ECU's offense should look better against NC State than it did versus South Carolina last year. I would say a comparable 
comparable defense in terms of talent. You know, NC State probably more experienced. And, but South Carolina is the SEC. They've got as much talent as anybody. So I, I just feel like when I saw last year, nobody was getting open. No holes were opening. Uh, Holton struggled with decision-making. Offensive line struggled with pass protection. I'm not saying ECU needs to go out and score 40 versus NC State. They just need to look, I think, competent and competitive and give yourself a shot. That's right. I think they need to give themselves a shot. That That's a great way of putting it, Stephen. That um, if we, and I don't anticipate that, but if we find ourselves in the fourth quarter looking gassed, if we find ourselves in the fourth quarter confused in the whole, by the whole game, by what state has done, then um, again, it's not time to panic, but I, I think you've got to wonder, okay, what, what, what does the rest of the season look like? Um, now I'm going to be bold, although you haven't asked me, I, I think we're capable of winning eight games, but we'll see. We'll see. That's my hope. Yeah. And, and you know, we didn't get too much into third down conversion struggles last year, which ECU was one of the worst third down offenses. They were conversely one of the best fourth down offenses. You said, you know, coach Houston got more aggressive last year and probably maybe, maybe needs to get more aggressive early in downs. Is that, I don't know. Is that a fair assumption uh, this year? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, I would, I want to see more creativity in terms of, and I said this earlier of getting people into space. Um, it, this level of football is all about matchups. And, um, and one of the things I love about coach Houston is that he does stick to his script and there is something to be said about staying the course with their plays and making sure that, you know, you run your core set of plays in the best way that you can. But what I want to see is more, more, more creativity and, and more sort of scheme that puts pressure on the defense with our speed guys. And um, because I think what happened was when we got into that third down spot, a lot of times we found ourselves in a hole. So it was usually third and long. Um, and you know, we've got to make sure those first and second downs that, you know, we're hitting three yards a piece about what, by the time we get that third down is four yards and under, and we didn't do that very well last year. Well, this year, uh, I guess last year, everybody knew the ball was, was probably going to Tyler Sneed on third and medium this year. I don't know where the ball is going. Maybe that's a good thing heading into the, heading into the opener, Sean, uh, Really appreciate the insight, man. It's been a fun conversation. I think a lot to be excited about with this offense. I think there are some some fair question marks, but, uh, man, I, I'm ready for September 3rd. We're closing in, and it's been fun to talk some football with you. Thank you, and, and I'm excited too. I mean, I, I think this could be a really, really good team, um, and I, I, I want them to be a championship-level team. And uh, Coach Houston has been there before. Now it's a question of can they make that next sort of step into that? Um, and of course, I hope they can and, and think they have some nice tools for that. So thanks yeah, for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll get you on again. I, I've always said we'll get you, Pirate Backer, and, and Brett Hickman, maybe tick on in a roundtable type setting. But uh, it's been fun, man. Check them out. Nova Pirate on the Hoisty Colors message boards. If you're a member, you probably read his work. So check that out and uh, we appreciate everybody tuning in to the Hoist and Colors podcast we'll talk with you guys next time
best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.